This week on Inside the Ropes, the growing force that is Lucas Herbert, now a US Tour player and one of the up-and-coming players in the world. On the eve of his debut in California, we take a close look at his prospects for the season with his longtime coach, Dom Azapati. Plus, we talk girls' golf scholarships. It's that time of the week. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe now through your favourite podcast app. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Inside the Ropes, episode 224. I'm Martin Blake, Media Manager for Golf Australia. and We've got heaps of golf news and analysis for you today out of lockdown Melbourne, where I can't even get out and play yet. We'll be drilling into the Lucas Herbert phenomenon a little uh, as the man from Bendigo in central Victoria, ranked number 51 in the world with a bullet, begins the 2021-22 PGA Tour season. Dom Azapati is going to help us with that, and we'll also have some news about some great girls' scholarships being offered right around the country. Co-hosting today, straight out of Queensland's Gold Coast, where they actually can play golf still, is Tony Wiebeck, writer at large for pga.org.au and Golf Digest. Welcome, Tony. Hey, Blakey. Yeah, it's only time that's holding us back from playing up here. We're the lucky ones, so uh, hopefully later in the week I'll be able to squeeze in a game somewhere on the coast or maybe even up in Brisbane this week. Yeah, rural, uh, sorry, regional Victoria has got their golf back uh, as we speak, but the health department of Victoria is a very tough uh, organisation to get get through at the moment. And I, I believe in Canberra there's no golf at the moment as well. And even in Sydney um, where they've played golf right through, they're, they're restricted to their 5K. So if you live further than 5K, from your club, uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna get anything. Although I spoke to a friend of mine uh, just yesterday, actually, who lives in Sydney, is a member of Bonnie Doon, and uh, he uh, he said that a, a number of clubs are doing reciprocals and that to try and you know let people out out and play. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, obviously we don't all geographically live within five k's of our golf clubs, but um, there probably is a, a different golf club or another option close at hand so if we can open them up to people at this time especially to to access the courses closest to them then that makes sense to get gets everyone out in the golf course and gets the clubs with some uh, revenue coming through so hopefully that's uh that's feasible for the majority of sydney golfers at the moment what's happening in the world of golf uh, from a tournament point of view uh, the british pga or the bmw pga as they call it at, at wentworth was the big ticket of the week and Adam Scott actually uh, made a run at that for three days didn't he and then just kind of fell away on the last day yeah opened up with a 65 on day one and was one off the lead and went into the last day I think two back and inside the top five but yeah just struggled it was interesting actually looking at his scores the first three or four holes uh, brought him unstuck most mornings or most days sorry and uh, he um, just couldn't quite recover on on the final day, he dropped a couple of shots in the first five holes and just unlike the previous three rounds, couldn't get the birdies and uh, eagles that he needed to make a run late. He birdied the last two holes, which was a nice finish, but, yeah, not enough to catch Billy Horschel out in front, um, who was interesting to note that, yeah, he said afterwards it was better than winning the players. So um, another European tour and all their associated sponsors are very happy with Billy this week, but... Um, 
first first American to win that event since Arnold Palmer. So yeah, some nice company for for Billy to be in, especially when he got overlooked for the Ryder Cup, which is probably a bit of a surprise as well. We might talk a bit about the Ryder Cup later on because I cannot wait for that. Uh, around the world of golf uh, this week, that was the as I said the main ticket on the Champions Tour. Rod Pampling finished tied 23rd. Again, he uh, was in the mix with a round to go, wasn't he? And uh, shot 74 on the last day, leaving David Toms to win. Yeah, he was one back as well. Sort of going to bed Sunday night, we thought we might wake up with another couple of Aussie winners Monday morning, but that wasn't quite yeah. to be. Yeah, Rod, Rod dropped, a, I think he was five over the front nine. So uh, on the last day in the Champions Tour event, that's Going to make the task a bit difficult. He recovered a bit on the back nine, but, yeah, left himself too much work to do. But given it was only three weeks since his win at the Boeing Classic, nice to see him still playing well and getting in contention again. Ladies European Tour, L.E.T., uh, the Swiss Open, uh, Whitney Hillier and Steph Kiriakou of Australia both finished tied 24th with Steph Kiriakou still sitting second on the money list or the points list on that particular tour there are quite a few events to go but uh the thai woman ataya titical uh won the event and she's raced out in front on the on the money list probably unstoppable at the moment she's had two wins this year but uh steph of course trying to get in i believe it's the top five on that points list or money list get uh a start in an automatic start in the final stage of lpga tour uh qualifying later this year so that's the big uh, looking forward to, or the big uh, target for Steph. Yeah, and she would have, I think, qualified for that last year. But, of course, with COVID, there was no LPGA Tour qualifying school last year. And I want to give Whitney Hillier a shout-out too. She's been out there a while now. And since the Scottish Open, it's probably been her most consistent run of form, I would suggest. Absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah, she's she's been in that top 25, top 15 maybe a couple of times, played the Women's Open um, as well. So Whitney's, yeah, just it looks like she's sort of just instilling that bit of confidence that you need at that level to to go from a good player to a, to a contender. So, yeah, if she can continue that trajectory for the next few months, we might see another another winner on the LET uh, in Winnie Hillier by the end of the year. And the PGA Tour of the United States, Tony, they're, they're not big on – off seasons there, are they? They had one week off, uh, and this week they're back in Silverado Resort in Napa, California, for the uh, what's the name of the event? Uh, the Fortinet uh, Championship. Fortinet, Fortinet yeah, Open. Yeah, yeah. So um, this is big, actually, because uh, players like Lucas Herbert and Brett Druitt, two Aussies who got through and picked up their PGA Tour tickets to play for the next season, the wraparound season. They're out there and they're, they're running, aren't they? So uh, in, Bre- in Brett's play- case, he's played as a member of the Tour previously, I think 2017. But for Lucas, this is his debut as a card-carrying PGA Tour player. He has played 11 tournaments on the Tour previously, but a few of those have been majors and that he got a start in and World Golf Championships. He's played a, a couple of uh, or a handful of uh, regular tour events, but it's big time for him, isn't it, this week? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know when a, when you have a one-week off-season, I don't know where the uh, the post-season celebrations start and the pre-season work begins, but, yeah, they don't get much time off on the, uh, on the American tour, but when you're playing for millions of dollars every week, why would you? So, yeah, good to see Lucas. He's probably didn't finish off the Corn Ferry Tour finals 
as he would have liked. And as he's come through that category, even though he's ranked, as you say, 51 in the world, playing well early is important. They'll do re-ranks, which will determine his position in tournaments as the schedule moves forward. So um, as much as he might be looking forward to a bit of time off, um, it's important that he plays well early and, because there's 50 people that came through the Corn Ferry Tour regular season and the finals with new PGA Tour cards this year, so you want to be high up in that in that category to uh, assure yourself as many starts as possible in the big events and give yourself a chance to move up into the uh, invitationals and the things like the Players Championship. Well, I wouldn't necessarily always be that interested in the uh, event at Silverado at the start of the season. But in this case, I think I'm going to be getting up early this week because, uh, you know, we're obviously very fond of Lucas on this show and it's a, it's a big moment for him. And what we're going to do today, Tony, is we're going to have a chat to Dom Mazzapati, who's been coaching Lucas since he was 12 years of age. Um, Dom's based on the Sunshine Coast these days, but at the time that he first hooked up with uh, Lucas as a you know an instructor you know when when Lucas was 12 he was the pro at Ballarat Golf Club which is a place that's very fond in my heart I lived there for a little while in my 20s and uh still got a lot of friends up up that way on the on the highway between Melbourne and and uh, Adelaide so um Dom as a as a party is going to talk us through what what uh, he thinks can, Lucas can do yeah be really interested to hear whether he thinks his game needs to change at all for the PGA Tour and having spent the past couple of years in Europe. So, um, yeah, I'm interested to hear how Dom sees Lucas adjusting to to playing full-time in the US. What we might do now, uh, Tony, is take a little break, our first break for the day on Inside the Rubs, and we'll come back with our chat, have a chat to Dom as a party. With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, and Dom as a party is joined us from the Sunshine Coast, sunny Sunshine Coast, where they can actually play golf. And uh, Dom, you've coached Lucas Herbert for, I think, about 12, 13, 14 years. Uh, it's quite a, a big week for him this week, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's been a great journey for Lucas and I think we're both very fortunate that uh, we came across each other at that stage, uh, yeah, 12 years ago this, um, from where we are now. And yeah, it's pretty exciting to see him make his debut as such on the PGA Tour, um, holding a, a PGA Tour card. Have you spoken to him recently? I mean, we, we did our chat with him, Tony and I, a few weeks ago, um, and he, he sounded very much up and about. Uh, how do you think he'll go? I, I've got a feeling he'll go pretty well. Yeah, I um, had some time with him this morning, actually, about quarter past five, um, which... Um, was you know often the case now how we communicate that time of the morning um and yeah he's in a good place he's he's um you know we've done a little bit of work over the last seven days technically you know the last two of the the corn ferry events he struggled a little bit in that way so we've cleaned that up a little bit and and you know really looking forward to getting into this week lucas about juggling the schedules dom but what about i guess the transition from european to a golf to the PGA Tour, the styles have traditionally been very different. Lucas, to me, seems like a guy who's creative and that European Tour style would appeal. But how do you think, do you have to change much in his game to transition to, as we talked about earlier in the year, the big boy golf courses that he'll be, he'll be faced with? How do you think his game will adapt or will need to adapt to? 
Yeah, I don't think too much, Tony. I think, um, you know, he's played enough there over the last two years to know what it's about. You know, it's interesting. We, we did talk, um, you know, earlier in the year, you and I, about, you know, him feeling more comfortable in America on those on those big boy golf courses, as Lucas and I um, speak about. And I know you guys spoke about that a couple of weeks ago when you had him on the podcast. And I don't think it's um, that his game's not, you know, where it needs to be to play in America. I think it's it was more, and I think he sort of spoke to you guys about, you know, having the belief and, and you know, commitment to shots in America where there, there just isn't a miss often that you've just got to, you know, get up there and hit the shot. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to spend a little bit of time with Grant Field uh, on Sunday and talking to him about Cam, where he's at. And, you know, we spoke very much about that, that, that he, he sort of says to Cam quite often, you know, mate, you're on the PGA Tour, there's no hiding here, you just got to get up and hit the shot, you know. And, and I think Herbie's really starting to understand that and come to terms with that, um, which, you know, is it, it does take time and it takes belief and trust in your ability. Um, but, you know, that, that's he's forging that very much uh, week in, week out. He's always been very confident in his ability. Tell me, from a coach's perspective, the difference between confidence and belief. Well, one comes with the other, I guess. You know, if um, you know, if you're confident with where the ball's coming out, you know, if he with Herbie, you know, if he's standing there making swings and the ball's coming out where he feels it should be, that gives him a lot of you know confidence and belief that that you know it's his week he can play well, and you know that that's never going to be every week as a golfer. I don't care how great a job I do with him. You know, the reality is that. You know, you, you swing for Herbie, his feels come and go a little bit. And, you know, we do a lot of work around that, you know, regularly. But, you know, when, when his feels are matching up to, to how the ball's coming out and he's seeing that shot that he wants to hit and, and, and it's happening in that way, you know, he, he has the belief, the confidence to get up on tees and, and absolutely, you know, commit 100% to, to what he's wanting to hit. Dom, it's a long way for Lucas from 2019 when he came back to Bendigo, his home city in central Victoria, and he was he was actually really wondering whether he wanted to continue doing this a little bit. So, um, you know, how's he? How did he get through that? Do you think? I think um, you know we as a team learnt so much in that year. You know, I was out with him 18, 2018, 2019, about 25, 26 weeks both years with him and. You know, 19, we came home and we, we really assessed where things were at. We had some incredibly honest chats, uh, which was good. And, and, and that's, you know, when you work with a guy for, for 10 plus years, you know, you, jo- you feel your job's not on the line and, and you feel that you can be really brutally honest with him sometimes. And, and we had some great chats as a team. And I think, you know, we all learn a lot. I learn a lot about what I was doing probably too much involved in the coaching process. And, and, you know, I think since then, and COVID's been a, a bit of a blessing, I guess, for, for Herbie. And, and look, he was, whether you want to say it was fortunate or not that he won, you know, early in 2020, but, you know, and then COVID hit. And, you know, we've been very limited in what we can do um, by me being out there at events. And I think, you know, in, in retrospect, that's been a really positive thing for him because he's had to take so much more ownership of of not just his golf swing, but, you know, his game um, and, you know, what he does in a day-to-day way to 
you know, get the best out of himself. And, you know, guys like Herbie, you know, I, I can tell him for five years to, to do something, but it's not till he, you know, takes it on himself and really wants to, to buy into that process that, you know, you'll start to really see him reap the benefits of that. You might might just need Dom to work on some of his travel uh, arrangements because uh, those people who listened to our podcast a couple of weeks ago, Lucas ended up in Columbus, Georgia instead of Columbus, Ohio. Um, there might be some work to be done there. It's actually one of the things he's always said he likes to, you know, it, it, he, he gives so much control to everyone else in, in his team, you know, whether that's Jamie or... or Jamie Glazier, his mind um, coach. Glazier, yeah. yeah, myself technically, you know, Luke with his body. And and I do get that he feels a little bit like he's he's got no control of what's going on. So he's always sort of talked about that he likes to, to do his travel plans and book his flights and accommodation. But after that effort, um, yeah, he might be reviewing that. I think I was the first person he rang and he, he rang me and said, look, I know you're going to find out about this. I may as well tell you. And, yeah, I had a good, good crack in. Tell us, Dom, you know, we've talked to players about, you know, the past 18 months managing their games, you know, in this COVID world we're living in without access to coaches as they have in the past. How's it changed from a coaching perspective? How have you had to change the way you deliver information to Lucas and other players? And has that been a learning curve in itself for you? Absolutely. It has, it's changed, so much has changed in the last, you know, 18 months, 24 months, very much with what I do with, with Herbie. Um, and look, we're still learning. I'll be honest. We, we had a, a really honest chat as a, as a group, as a team last week um, around, you know, perhaps he feels at times I reach out too much. You know, I, I'm sort of wanting to check in every week and make sure that, He's swinging it the way I feel he should be, and and that can be detrimental at times. And 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 Jamie perhaps in the same way. And it's really difficult sitting back here in the sunny coast, you know, not being involved in any way until he reaches out. But that's what we've got to do. Um, and you know, so we're we're always learning, we're always adapting as to how it works best with not just Herbie but the other people I work with online. And you know, that whole online learning is. is you know, something two years ago that, that wasn't anything. And, and now, you know, through, you know, the skill stack that I use, um, it's just phenomenal what's what's been able to be achieved, you know, coaching players all around the world. You anticipate that you'll be back on tour in the same manner or even close to the manner you were a couple of years ago? Or do you think this is a change that's going to be, I guess, semi-permanent? We spoke after 2019 that going into 2020, I'd probably do about 12 weeks out with Herbie uh, last year. Now, obviously, that hasn't happened um, 2020 or 21. Looking forward to 2022, I would say I might do sort of four trips um, for about a month each time, maybe three weeks. That's what we'd envisage. So it's never going to get back to, you know, 24, 26 weeks of the year. But that was different in 18, 19. You know, I was on the bag a fair bit in those times, um, you know, he, he, we were trying to get him on the European tour and you know, we were going from Oman one week to Sicily the next week and not knowing any sort of scheduling. It was just, we just had to do what we were doing um, to, to try and obtain that European tour card. Dom, uh, you, I've read before and, and heard you talk about golfers having a certain DNA and what, what I like of what you've done with 
Lucas is he always seemed I've known him since he was a kid as well and he doesn't seem much different to me Lucas he's he's not changed he's a bit got a bit of a maverick streak in him he's not a shrinking violet he's gregarious as a person um was it tempting for you to change him or did you always think that you needed to let him let him go because he can be a bit up and down I guess maybe as a player he's not a I don't think he's going to be a steady grinding type player is he yeah it's a really good point you make there Blakey and and you know even the fact that he doesn't want to check in on a weekly basis is that's Lucas Herbert um he's a different kid as you know and anyone that knows him and but that's what makes him you know a top 50 player in the world and now holding a PGA Tour card and you know I, I sense that as a 13 year old that I'm dealing with a different sort of kid here um and he's not going to be one to conform with everything and I was really mindful not to, you know, even with the way he swung the club, you know, that that, that was his way. That and, and I learned and I talked a little bit, as you say, about the player's DNA and, and Herbie had his own way of doing it. And that was that was fine for him. We've done a lot of work over the years to, you know, bring it to within parameters so it is more consistent. And, you know, I think he's done a really good job with that. But you know, the worst thing I can do is is try and make him swing it, you know, like Model A or Model B or, you know, whatever it may be because he's just going to lose his whole field the way he sees um, the golf swing to be to be carried out. And, you know, I think we've got to be very careful as coaches not to, you know, change the way a player sees that they should swing a golf club, but just to work within, you know, what they – how they see the golf – being played and and I think we've done a really good job with that with Herbie over the 10 12 years and he's certainly got the power game hasn't he I'm not sure how far he's actually carrying the driver nowadays but it'll be well over 300 I'm sure I'm not sure what his swing speed is but you know that's going to be up there as well what's what's he swinging the club at yeah, he's up at around 122 miles per hour with driver. I mean, he consistently carries a, a driver about 310 yards, 310 yards. So he's, he's got power. But, I mean, that came about as a – and I do a lot of work with, with all my young juniors um, to create speed first up because I think if you create speed first up, then you, you know, you can bring that into, um, you know, being able to – stay within parameters but as a 16 17 18 year old uh yeah it's very hard then to, to create speed once you you know they're, they're hitting a lot of fairways i'm sorry guys sounds like someone's mowing my lawn outside you're probably hearing that's good timing but we can push through that um i wanted to ask you you talk about lucas's dna but you you know you're doing a lot of stuff with skillist and working with amateurs and club golfers online learning that kind of stuff now is that true for amateurs as well? Uh, we get caught up in trying to copy swings or improve our swings. Is there an innate DNA in even club golfers that, you know, I'm sure you've seen some shockers in, the, in your time, but are you always working with the, the inner feels that a golfer comes to you with to get the best out of them rather than completely pulling it apart and starting from scratch? Tony, I think even more so with, you know, your listeners, you know, so many of them are club golfers. And I say it's even more so in that case because you're also dealing with a club golfer in, in the way their body is and the way their body moves. I mean, I've, I'm dealing with Lucas Herbert, who's 25 years old, 
has a physio travel with him full time. You know, he's in the gym not as much as we'd like, but you know, he he, he does do a lot of you know that sort of work. You know, I, I'm coaching guys who are sitting at a desk on a computer 40 hours a week. Um, you know, who who are overweight, some of them who who you know have very big flexibility issues. Now, you, you know, you've got to work with that player um, even more so than than someone like Lucas Herbert. So, for me, yes. Absolutely, and even more so that that I've got to work within the boundaries that that I'm placed with 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 those club golfers. Now, I saw one of your videos the other day. That's I'm going to give it a run next time. The bunker, just some people to get help, help people get out of bunkers and things like. When you see amateurs and when they come to you, not so much I guess those individual skill sets, but is it the confidence to swing with confidence that holds them back or you know because bunker play i guess breaks down for so many amateurs because we're scared of the idea of hitting it 40 meters over the back of the green or blading it into a yard or but you the best bunker players with a full swing on it how, how do you kind of instill confidence in amateur golfers to to swing the club as it's meant to be swung to, to deliver the right result yeah, it's just all about education, isn't it? It's it's just all about, and that's why I think we can do so much online nowadays because it's it's really about you know giving the player an understanding of what they're trying to achieve with whatever shot they're trying to hit. Um, and you know, as good as you know, it's funny with the internet now, and you know, I'm I'm becoming more and more active on Instagram and, and putting things like that bunker thing on 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 my Instagram, which you saw. And that's good and bad because I think, you know, so many people are watching so many snippets of whatever to do on the internet. Now, that can be really detrimental because, you know, it's all the same message but delivered in, in slightly different ways and, and the way people can interpret different things that they see on, on Instagram, YouTube and whatever else can be really dangerous. And, you know, that's why working with someone on something like the Skillist app, you just really... Um, giving them a really clear direction as to this is what you need to do rather than, you know, working and having five different swing thoughts going through your head when you're trying to get the ball out of the bunker, which just clearly doesn't work. So, you know, I think it's it's really important that, you know, people have that direction and, and clear understanding of, you know, let, let's work on A, then B, then C, and that's your blueprint for you becoming a really good bunker player. As someone who read a dozen golf tips every issue of Australian Golf Digest for about 15 years, it's not not conducive to good golf. Just one more on Lucas for me. Did you guys talk schedule and, you know, will we see him back in Europe at Dubai at the end of the year? How's he going to, I guess, balance getting a good start in the PGA Tour with, I guess, his position in Europe at the moment and, and how we can maximise, I guess, that that opportunity as well yeah i mean the the plan is for him to, to obviously get off to a really good start on the pj tour over the next couple of months play the dp world in in dubai and then ideally have eight weeks off sort of december january the plan is for jamie to go over uh for those two months and do a lot of work with him on his mental side you know in that sort of eight weeks that he'd have off um and then he'd stay over there 
as it's looking at the moment. I mean, he'd love to get home for Christmas and, and if all goes well, you know, he, he can, after DP World, come back to Australia and spend that eight weeks in Australia. But, you know, at the moment with the rules in place, that, that can't happen. So, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd head back to Orlando and, and spend that time there with Jamie and do a lot of work. Now, you know, as you can see, there's so many moving parts to, you know, what we're doing with the schedule, a lot of that depends on how he plays over the next couple of months, um, what the rules are about Australia come December. So that's how it's looking at the moment. Um, you know, yeah, he's, he's got he's in a great position at the moment because he's got, you know, status in, in Europe. So he can, you know, pick and choose a little bit um, between the US Tour and, and the European Tour. But obviously, and even this year, you know, he's based himself over in America and, and made the PJ Tour his main goal. Uh, and he's also he's also fifty one in the world, which means that if he can hold that position or improve it a little bit by the end of the year, he could be in the Masters field as well. Yeah, I'm always very, you know, those things those things take care of themselves. You know, we do the work and 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 we pick the right schedule and he plays. Yeah, it'd be nice to play at Augusta and, and play the Masters, but. He's 25. That that sort of thing will happen, you know, if we keep going on the journey that we have and, and the way we're, we're progressing and always improving. I've always sort of said to him since he was 12, 13, you know, my, my goal with Herbie is just to see him continually improve. Um, and if that happens, you know, he'll, he'll play Augusta 10, 15 times and, and that's how I see it. Last one from me, Dom. Um, how good can he be, do you think? Um Sean Foley, Tiger's old coach, who I caught up with when I was over there in February, March, and uh, we spent a fair bit of time. We talked about it, and I think Foley said it himself. He said, this kid can be as good as he wants to be, um, and, and I absolutely agree with that. And when I say he can be as good as he wants to be, you know, Herbie talks a lot. He, he knows he doesn't – his sleep packs aren't, aren't, you know, where they probably could be. He knows he can eat better, um, but – there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of discipline involved in, in being, you know, that elite, you know, to get him into the top 10 in the world. You know, there's a lot of choices he's got to make um, and he's the only one that can make those choices and decisions. So, you know, to answer that, Blakey, I think he can be as good as he, he, he can, you know, as he chooses. But as we know with Herbie, you know, he's really big on having a great balance in his life. And, and I'm the first as his coach and know him as well as anyone to allow him to have that balance. And if that means he's a top 50, you know, 30 to 50 player and, and goes inside, you know, the top 50 and then back out, but he's really happy in his life and content, um, you know, that's the most important thing for me rather than, you know, pushing him really hard to, to be a top 10 player in the world and miserable doing that. I think that's a really admirable trait. One last one for me. The PGA Tour had a one-week off-season. Has he had a chance to celebrate his achievement and how did he celebrate it? And, you know, have you guys had a moment to just sort of reflect on the journey and before he starts his career as a PGA Tour player? Yeah, probably not as much as we would have liked. He certainly did a really good job of celebrating after he won the Irish Open um, and I was, you know, on a, on a FaceTime call for about half an hour with him at, 2.30 in the morning, and, and they certainly enjoyed that one. What language are you speaking there? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I was lucky that I knew him well enough that I could sort of work out what he was trying to tell me. 
and how much he loved me. So <laughs> it's always good at that stage. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they celebrated a little bit after, you know, he obtained that card, but yeah, he, his business as usual, he, he's really dedicated and wants to achieve, you know, he said to me the other day, you know, it's PJ Tour now, it's next level up and, and he knows he's got to work harder and, and do a better job in, in, you know, some of the areas that I, I spoke about, you know, just before about sleep patterns and, and his eating and these things and, the thing that I love most is that you know he's, he's wanting to step into that space at the moment and and you know work at, at being a better player. Well, it's Silverado Resort in Napa this weekend. Have a look on uh, it'll be all over Ko and Foxtel, and I'm sure you'll be getting up early in the morning. It's been a great journey for you too. I think Lucas's dad must have rang you up when you're at. Pro at Ballarat Golf Club in Central Victoria uh, all those years ago, and said, "I think I've got a kid who uh, you can help or who can be good." And here you are, thirteen years later, he's a, a tour player. So, Dom, as a party, it's been great having you on. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, when I did tell Herbie I was coming on, he sort of—I think he was a bit upset because he, he feels he owns this show. I think he's back in his message. So. <laughs> He loves this. Uh, he loves being part of the show with you guys, and uh, appreciate the support you've always shown towards Herbie and yourself. No problem, mate. Thank you. Always great to talk to Dom as a party. We're going to take a break on Inside the Ropes. We'll be back in a moment with some girls' scholarship news. With Australian Golf Media, you're back inside the ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, and I don't think a week passes on this podcast where we don't talk about female participation. In golf, whichever way you look at it, this is either the biggest problem in golf or it's the biggest challenge for golf. And it has to have the biggest potential upside if the game can actually get this right. That's my take on it anyway. I think there's huge potential in that area because we haven't looked closely enough at this in the past. So on that note, I just wanted to bring in Bonnie Boozerman to talk to us. There's a significant announcement planned for tomorrow by the Australian Golf Foundation, of which Bonnie is a director and also the founder of this particular project. So the AGF Junior Girls Scholarship Program for 2022 has been expanded. It's right around the country now and the numbers are increasing hugely. So welcome, Bonnie, and tell us a little bit about these scholarships. I'm told that they're for girls mostly above 10. They'll bend the rules a little if they need to with a younger player, but mostly they're above 10. And they're girls who have some skill uh, they're not real. It's not really a beginner's thing, is it? No, it isn't. Not at all. And um, it it actually, I'll go from the origins. Back in 2018, um, I went to the general manager of Kalar Golf Club because I used to ask him every year, why don't we have junior girls um, programs and and any form of junior girls programs? And they basically said, well, we really can't find enough girls, and we do bring a couple of girls cadets from Ravenswood. But I said. The club was 119 years old, and I just said, do you know, the average age of the female golfer today is 63. And it actually is a dying game for women, sadly, because of overall, all the golfers, 20% are women and 80% are men. But the problem is it's sliding. And so my focus wasn't to go out and to, you know, have a scholarship that we would create just for pros. It was actually to give young girls the opportunity to learn the sport and to have that skill in their kit bag. And in every induction, every year, I basically say to the girls, um, you know, if 
after university, you go out and you're working and you have equal pay with someone sitting next to you, but they go out and do a deal on a golf course and you don't because you've never had the opportunity to learn, you're going to be at a major disadvantage. And I reflect that back on myself. I was a big sports junkie my whole life and didn't pick up golf until I was 39. So I kept on seeing every, everybody doing deals on the golf course. And I'm thinking, well, I love sport. I always thought golf was for lazy people. And then I basically changed my mind. So I offered to the club um, because I was frustrated. I said, all right, I'll put a stake in the ground and I will pay for five girls memberships, 32 weeks of professional training, a induction program and a barbecue graduation at the end with the parents. And actually also help the girls along the way, playing in comps, helping them get their um, their LinkedIn membership numbers and so forth. So three years later, 15 girls later, um, it's been an extraordinary success. Um, we've already got two girls in that 15 that look like very seriously they'll become professional golfers. Um, and wow. one, one, one young girl is only eight now, and I met her when she was six. She's won every Jack Newton in her age bracket for the last 12 months, every competition until COVID stopped them. So here we are where the program is very successful. And it was a mere coincidence that Steve Spargo, the chairman of uh, this brand new Australian Golf Foundation back in 2019, we met up because he was looking for directors and people kept on referring me to him. And then I asked them to come to Kalara and I showed them the program. And I said, you know, I'd be very keen to become a director and I'd be very keen to focus my energy on doing something about the plight of women in golf. So he thought it was a great idea. I joined the board nearly two years ago, um, about 18, 20 months ago, and I wrote this massive proposal and I based it on the intellectual property of what I had created uh, the kit that we sent to the schools, we do it every year to about 11 schools around the area of the golf club. And um, so I basically said, we can roll this out nationally. And all we need to do is create uh, an exact formula, but not 32 weeks because it would be too expensive for golf clubs. So my proposal was that if we raised enough money, um, $80,000 in 2020, to give to 40 clubs $2,000. And we say to the clubs, this money is expressly for uh, professional golf training for 24 weeks of pro training in a year. And um, then Golf Australia, we were gonna ask the clubs to pay for a shirt and cap, which is, is the girls call it their uniform. They love it. And they also love saying, I'm a scholarship winner because it's to them, it's you know, very, very big. I mean, you're talking about a 10-year-old, 11-year-old talking about having a scholarship. And, and um, I mean, the excitement of these young girls is quite extraordinary. So we launched it last year. Um, and, and this is the first year of the international program, as the national program. We have 37 golf clubs. We have uh, 226 young girls across the country. For instance, my excitement to see that Gove, that as you know, up in the Northern Territory, they have a lovely small nine-hole golf course, that they have six girls and a uh, professional trainer up there as, as far north as Gove, as far south as, as, um, as uh, Tasmania. We have girls in every state. Um, 
and it is extraordinary the 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 surveys we're getting out of these young girls and the pros and the clubs are raving about this. Um, David Galicia, who I work with, um, said he's never seen from nor Gulf have Australia. I yeah. from Gulf Australia. He's never seen nor have I a response to surveys about any programs that is eighty and ninety percent either good or brilliant. So we hit a nerve. We're trying to solve a problem. You'd think it's kind of inchworm, but if we don't start where we are now, we're never going to actually really make a dent because there's no feeder groups of young girls coming up through the ranks across the country. And I'm finding that, you know, not only Kalara didn't support young girls, the majority of the clubs I could see didn't have really sophisticated young girls programs across Australia. So what we've done this year is we said, all right, let's double our our we originally wanted 200 girls. We said, let's double it to 400 girls in 2022. And then, of course, we had to double the fundraising. And much to our excitement, this is one of the first projects ever that every single state across the country has supported it financially and, and, and in other ways. Uh, and that we have the Golf Managers Association supporting it financially, the WPGA and the PGA. It's not, it's not that for a, a little project that started at, at one cl one particular club. You must feel very proud. So 400 scholarships in 2022. Applications open on 15th September, which is, what, a couple of days away as we Wednesday, record yeah. this? Yep. Yeah. Uh, they close on the 25th of October, so get in early. If you want details of this, it's at australiangolffoundation.org.au, australiangolffoundation.org. Org.au. Uh, Bonnie, what happens to those girls who, uh, those young girls who either take an interest in golf or, or, or eventually lose it? Or why, why are they not, um, you know, coming to golf early? Why is golf not cool for young girls, would you say? It, it's in a lot of schools, it's not on the curriculum. And so what girls get um, seduced with is netball and ballet. And now AFL is competing and soccer. And I found that when I went around to different schools, going to sports uh, teachers and finding out that it's not on the curriculum, but the teachers, once you engage them, are really happy to, to go out with the girls in physical ed and basically say, gee, there's a scholarship. And if you've been swinging a club with your father, say, on, on summer holiday, um, you know, and know how to hit a golf ball, you know, this is right for you. You, you can't be a beginner, but you, we don't need you to be, a, you know, full-blown seven handicapper you know, coming into the scholarship because it really is suited for girls between 10 and 16. But as, as I said in the, in the rules and regulations, basically I came across a girl at six who she picked a golf at five. Her parents took her to the U.S. Kids Worldwide Championship in the United States and um, in Pinehurst. And she came in 13th in the world X in her uh, age group. So I, I basically tripped over this young girl, and now she's gone from a 37 handicap down to 17. So she's better at eight. She's better than – but this isn't the only story I'm coming across. Some of the pros across the country, we have Zoom meetings when we first launch every three weeks so we could actually help the pros and the GMs and the ladies' committees really understand how important it is not just to have the girls have a one-year scholarship. They can go out and play golf with a full membership. So the clubs have to agree as part of the program, they give a full membership. Why? 
you can't actually expect young girls to stand at a driving range, hit some balls, and then not be able to play the course, go back home. And what are they going to do? They're going to go back to netball or they're going to go back to soccer. But if you provide them a one-year scholarship and a membership at a club, they're going to actually take their hour lesson and turn around with a couple of the other girls and say, let's go out and play four or five holes after school. So that is what's happening across the country. The real question, and you've touched on it, is what happens after a year? And yeah. that's the most important critical time where Retention. we say that's yeah. it. We say to the clubs, you must embrace the girls. And Kalara, um, both male and female members have. And you must embrace the girls, encourage them to play as much competitive golf. And some of these girls become friends for life because they've been in something for a year, 24 weeks, they're going and seeing each other and they're learning together how to really uh, hit a golf ball beautifully, how to chip, how to putt, how to get out bunk out of bunkers. And now this is transformative. The feedback we're getting is 80% of those 226 girls this year want to stay on with golf. This is really, truly transformative. Bonnie, um, I always ask, most weeks on this this podcast, we do a, a thing with uh, the visionary of the year, which is relates to Vision 2025. But the golf clubs and, and facilities who are doing great work in, in promoting the game to women and, and yeah. girls. I always like to ask people on the ground uh, what you feel, whether you feel a bit of a change of momentum yet. I do. I do. But it's, it's a long way. To give you an example, I spent a lot of my, when I first picked up golf, it was um, over 30 years ago. And then I offered within three years, my, uh, I was a CEO of a, a subsidiary U.S. company, and I offered my services for free, pro bono, to the then CEO of, of the P, LPGA. It was a guy, and his name was Don Johnson. And I basically said, listen, all we have is two tournaments in this country for women. This is like 1990, 91. I said, um, We've got to do something about getting more sponsors to have maybe Eastern Seaboard's tournaments, to maybe have more representation. Uh, we didn't even have a New South Wales Open then. Um, so uh, I set upon myself to actually go out and try to find sponsors through my networks as a chief executive. And we had about 50 or 55 women, Australian pros, competing in the US, Europe, and Asia. And we were doing very, very well. And from that was the birth of Kari Webb and a lot of other really good golfers. Today, if you speak to Karen Lan, we have only about 18 women competing abroad in those three sections of the world. And so what has happened is clearly without the young girls being fed up through the lines, with the lack of attention to them, it's going to affect the finding girls to become pros. Now, it's going to be it's going to happen naturally from the scholarship. As we progress, I said to Karen, if we have 1,000 girls in three years, I said, for sure, you'll probably get about 40 pros in the next five years knocking on your door. That's kind of the transition percentage of 1,000 girls. So I think we've got to be patient. We have to get sponsors. Like we, we I found a sponsor called NextGen for 2022, and they – the reason why they're doing it is because they see that, and they're golfers at NextGen, and they basically see that there's this enormous gap for young girls to really make a difference in golf in the future. And we don't want to see the game dying for women. 
No, I mean, look at the, the upside that is there. I mentioned this earlier, but if, if the game in Australia can actually get this right, which yeah. we, clearly we haven't in the past, but no. if we can get this right, how, how crucial, how, how important would that be for golf? Oh, it's it a one of the thing, point. a turning point. One of the things that I chatted to some of the general managers um, about in the general managers conference is that women spend money. So if you look at your golf club and you look at where your revenue is coming in from and you gradually eliminate the women playing golf and playing their bridge inside the club and having their glass of white wine and the lunch, because most of the women love to stay after and have lunch and the retail that the ladies buy in the pro shops and the new clubs that their husbands and themselves buy and so forth. If you look at just the female spend in the club, if that if it dribbles down to zero, the clubs are not going to get as much of a return for just the male golfers. And don't you think it's uh, it's better for the game? The game looks better if it, yeah. it treats women properly and girls anyway. It does. It's just a better look all around. Yeah. It's the right it, thing to do. It is. Plus, we want the men in the clubs to really embrace the young girls as well. I'm not worried about it because the three years experience I've had now at Kalara is we now got 12 paying girls on the roster where we had zero. Never had girls, you know, yeah. very rarely a young girl playing. And um, so, so therefore, the men have embraced these young girls, never seen young girls around the course before, Clara. They've come across two fairways on a Sunday, and I'd be playing comp with these three of these girls. And they'd say to me, this is wonderful. It's wonderful to see young girls walking and playing the golf course. And what my fear is, is that due to COVID and everybody fighting for a spot, on the golf course, my fear is that they basically um, uh, would prefer not to see the juniors playing because it might take a slot away. But we've got to be patient. I think when we get back to fours again in New South Wales instead of twos, I think we're going to see that loosening up. Are they hitting it past you, Bonnie? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Two 12-year-olds. I'm sure you'll accept that given that it's, you know, completely your passion. it delights me to see the ball flying over my ball on the fairway. <laughs> uh, well, Bonnie Boozum, and it's a it's a great project. It's the Australian Junior Girls uh, Scholarship Program run by the Australian Golf Foundation. As I mentioned earlier, AustralianGolfFoundation.org.au will have all the details. But it's basically a scholarship program for girls in the ten to sixteen. Age group, they get two grand worth of uh, tuition from a, a PGA professional. Uh, they'll be a member of a club for that period of time, and they're really brought through, aren't they? Yes, they are. Thank you, Bonnie, for joining us on Inside the Ropes. We'll be back with a little bit more wrapping up in just a moment. With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, and it's time for general business. Um, Ryder Cup, Tony, I, I love this event. Uh, I just think it's fabulous, and it's just grown so much over the years. E- even in Australia, where we d- we don't have a a participant as such, it's it's so popular. And um, I just noticed that Podrick Harrington, the European captain, added Ian Poulter, Shane Lowry, and Sergio Garcia to his team this week with his captain's picks, which is some pretty serious talent, isn't it? To just throw in as captain's picks, especially when it comes to the Ryder Cup, they don't get much better than. Poulter and Garcia in that forum. 
The uh, the one who jumped out at me who didn't make it was Justin Rose, which just shows the quality of the European team, I guess. Justin Rose not in the team. Yeah, and it's interesting to me. I haven't looked at the uh, the world rankings as such at the moment. I know Ben Poulter's been playing quite well and so has Sergio in, in fits and starts, but I would have imagined that Justin Rose would rank higher than both those guys at the moment. I could mm. be wrong. Um, but and has Hydra a history of gone. playing well. In, in the, in the yeah, and Padraig's obviously gone for the uh, couple of old Ryder Cup stalwarts in Poulter and Garcia that can really rile up the American crowds and put a bit of heat on the a lot of the rookies, I guess, that are going to be on the American side of the side of the draw. Well, of course, the Americans have got a very strong team as well. It's going to be a sensational contest. But the European team, uh, as it's finalised now, is John Rahm, Fleetwood Hatton. Rory McIlroy, Hovland, Paul Casey, Fitzpatrick, Westwood, Visberger, uh, plus Polter, Lowry, Garcia. So I think that's that's they're going to be the favourites probably even even in America. It's like state of origin for us Northerners. No matter yeah. how good the European team is, they'll never go in favourites. It's uh, you know the Americans again. You know we saw it at the Presidents Cup, but again the Presidents Cup can be a bit of a blueprint, I think for the European team, not that they're worried about being underdogs, but the President's Cup in 2019 was stacked. Yeah, the US had most of the top 10 in the world and the uh, the internationals gave them a real good run for their money up until the single singles on Sunday. So, yeah, I, I think there's – I think you're right. I think the depth of the European team is stronger than when you get down, you know, no disrespect to Harris English and Daniel Berger and Scotty Scheffler who've been playing well this year, but – Towards the back end of those squads, I think the European team definitely comes up a bit stronger. I'm going to put you on the spot here as we work through our general business because Royal Melbourne Golf Club announced uh, late last week that they're going to have a what's been coined as a no-jab-no-play policy, uh, what it basically amounts to because there's no golf in Melbourne at the moment. Uh, when golf does return, they're going to uh, insist that if you got, if you want to play there, you need to show a, a certificate that you're vaccinated. It's a very um, thorny topic. I'm wondering whether it's going to expand to a few other golf clubs if if the pandemic keeps running. And obviously, vaccination is now seen as the solution to all. Um, what did you think about that? I, I personally thought it was. Um, I, I think it's it's a good idea. Um, but I understand people who who don't like it. I understand where they're coming from. But you know, to me, I think this is our way through. Yeah, from what I understand, I think it's the club captain at Royal Melbourne's quite a a noted legal mind. Um, my only thought was that someone surely at some point challenge quite possible yeah. that ruling um, and how that challenge goes. I guess will influence when other whether other clubs do the same but yeah i think we're going to go through a period of businesses you know in all in all walks of life instilling some parameters around who can and can't do business just so that they can operate um at the capacity that they need to be uh, profitable so obviously royal melbourne want to get as many golfers back on the golf course as they can and the probably the quickest way to do that is to have a membership that's fully vaccinated. So now that I've had my two jabs, I'm going to put in my application fee and application form and see whether that gets me fast-tracked. Rightly so. Now, 
membership spikes in COVID times. We know we've mentioned before that golf's done well uh, outside of what's happened in Victoria recently, but uh, golf has done extremely well out of the COVID lockdowns because people uh, are staying at home more and they're wanting to get outdoors and they know that golf's pretty safe. Uh, there was David Tees on the Golf New South Wales website reported a few days ago that, that some early membership figures came in. So this is just club members. Up 6.5% in Sydney, up 6.4% in regional areas. And there were some big numbers there, like uh, Marrickville in the inner west of Sydney, uh, up 49%, for instance. You know, So um, golf's... Golf's got a, a free kick uh, from this pandemic. Like these are figures that we haven't seen in golf for 20, 30, 30 years since the sort of Greg Norman days when club membership went went really soaring. It's just been ticking down ever since. But all of a sudden, it's on the way back up again. So, what did you make of that? I I, I think it's um, key that golf really, you know, the the challenge now is to hang on to that, hang on to that ground that's been really gifted to us. That's exactly right. It's what we do with it now. Um, I know we, I wrote a story only on Tuesday about the new public golf course opening up in Brisbane. That's uh, Minipi? Minipi, yeah, Minipi Golf hmm. Course, just near Cannon Hill there, part of a sort of a residential development that the British, Brisbane City Council's part of. Um, the interesting thing to me was the configuration of the golf course, that it could be played. You could play eight-in holes, you can play two nines, or you can play um, – Three lots of six, so that there are tee boxes towards the towards the clubhouse hub area there, where Fantastic you'll be able idea. to play play six holes. Yeah, and that's how I think we need to approach this influx of enthusiasm for golf is being available to present the game in a variety of different ways to people, so that they don't feel like they're penciled into a five hour round if they want to play at any time. Um, and the public golf, I think, is going to have a big big part to play in that and i'd like to see us adopt some more flexible approach to approaches to how we offer golf so that those people who have been attracted to the game when they go back to work full-time when they have to travel you know when they're no longer working from home and they have time pressures that return that the golf course that they've become aligned to during these times is about you know makes themselves available in the way that suits their lifestyle. So that's the big one for me. We need to, like I said, we've got a free kick. Um, we've got to make sure we don't spray it to the side of the post now. Correct. And uh, public golf is is so important to that. It's the starting point for the vast majority of, of players, including people who are now members of very well, very rich and uh, toffee private clubs. They probably, you know, the vast majority of them would have started out at a... Uh, you know, a public public course. I think that's maybe seventy years since Brisbane's got a new new public golf course. Yeah, and so obviously the the city's lost Victoria Park, just north of the city. Um, yeah. In recent times, the golf course is sort of going to be converted into a park, but they still have the the driving range and mini golf facilities there. But um, yeah, I just hope that it serves as a bit of a a blueprint for other courses that might be looking to maximise their yield and their opportunities for golfers to play that maybe a, a few slight adjustments to the course they have can can open it up to a whole range of demographics. Now, Tony, Grace Kim from Avondale in New South Wales turned pro. She's been our be- probably our best uh, female pro, for uh, sorry, amateur for a couple of years now. Um, so no surprise there, but I think 
The Asia-Pacific Amateur is coming up in the United Arab Emirates, and uh, I was thinking she was going to hold on and, and play in that, but it seems not. I mean, you've probably followed and know Grace better than I do, but I expected her to turn pro as soon as she left the uh, Augusta National Women's Amateur. I thought that was the one thing she was waiting for, and then the announcement would come. But, yeah, that's come in the past week. She's got through the first stage of LPGA Tour qualifying um, pretty comfortably. So she'll go into stage two next month. Um, I'm not sure exactly of the breakdown, whether you make final qualifying, whether that gets you a place on the Symmetra Tour or not. But um, there are probably yeah, five or six of the girls. Yeah. So it looks like her immediate future is fairly secure in the States. Of course, she's already won a couple of pro events. She's won two events, uh, two pro events, and, and not been able to pick up the cash. So Yeah. So the timing, yeah, I, I, probably for me the timing was later than I'd expected, but um, hey, better late than never. And now she can – I think she's uh, going to try and qualify, go to Monday qualifying for the Arkansas tournament in a week or so and then yeah set of sights on qualifying and hopefully an LPGA tour card for 2022 and another young Australian pro Gabby Ruffles who hasn't played anywhere for quite some time now has qualified for the LPGA event this week she went to Monday qualifying and got through which is great news I mean Gabby uh, turned pro without any playing rights which was a kind of a risky move and she got some uh, sponsors invitations she was trying to play away onto the lpj tour without having to go to qualifying which is pretty tough because you only get a limited number of starts i'm not sure whether it's probably six or seven starts i haven't actually looked that up but um, she took a few invitations and played reasonably well and she hasn't i don't believe she's played since july so some big times for gabby as well uh, I did want to mention, Tony, that it's Thank a Superintendent Day. We're recording this on a Tuesday, uh, but around the world, 14th of September is Thank a Superintendent Day. So a shout-out to all the, not only the superintendents, but their staff uh, who do an amazing job. You know, we, we play on some of the best courses in the world in this country, and we, we shouldn't forget it. I'm, you know, as you, I'm on the Gold Coast, and, you know, we're not too far from the Glades Golf Club, and I know the superintendent there a little bit, and it breaks my heart every time we get floods up here and that course just goes under and the, the work they have to do to get it back. It looks in fantastic condition at the moment. We've had a good winter, but yeah, the, not only the the day-to-day work that they put into the golf course and their understanding of the, the agronomy and the, the nature that they're dealing with that changes every day, but these weather events, whether they be bushfires, floods, um, they just must be crushing for just a moment to see their golf course sort of wrecked in that way by mother nature but the work they do to put it get it back on the back in play for us is uh is you know we can't we can't ever uh take for granted and yeah they're probably the most underappreciated people in the golf industry but perhaps our most important so yeah we absolutely thank our superintendent day every time you go out to the golf course if you can thank your superintendent because uh yeah, they deserve it one the last one from me comes out of Eleonora Country Club in New South Wales, a beautiful course on the northern beaches, which I was lucky enough to play about 18 months ago. There's a guy there, Tony, called Kevin Donahue, who's, who's well known around the golfing circles. And he actually is a former Eisenhower Cup Australian player from the 1960s. He's now 82 years of age, 
He's playing off 2.5. Do you reckon he'll be playing off 2.5 at 82 years of age? I know, I know that I won't be. Uh, he shot at Eleonora, which is, uh, you know, a proper proper golf yeah, course, par 72, I believe. He shot 71 a few days ago. He broke his age by 11. Um, we, we, should, we should actually get him on because, um, you know, you do hear these stories. I, I think that... Um, Kevin has broken his age many, many times, as you can imagine. But to break your age by 11 is – I've never heard of that. I'd love to know what the record is. That's got to be close. Like yeah, that's I mean – Bernhard Langer, you know, what, he turned 64 or 65, was it? I can't remember what he was. Anyway, he shot his age. He had his birthday a few weeks ago on the Champions Tour and shot his age. I think Greg uh, Norman has recently done it for the first time as well. So. Yeah, right. It's an amazing – feet but to do it by 11 shots yeah kevin's one of those guys that there are a whole raft of guys from those 60s and 70s that were wonderful wonderful players who never turned professional it was turning professional back then was uh you know very different to what it is today so these guys were just outstanding golfers with day jobs that you know they committed to so yeah um i feel like kevin might have been a teacher or something but anyway i could be wrong about yeah. that but yeah, just an outstanding one of our outstanding Tony Gresham and these kind of guys, like these outstanding yeah, golfers legend. of that era. Kevin Hartley. Yeah, to be, yeah. yeah but to be doing that at eighty two is I hope you won the comp. Oh, I didn't I didn't check that. But uh <laughs> yeah, you'd you'd be stiff if you didn't. Uh yeah. Tony, I think you had one more around uh, Andre Stoltz. Yeah, just a bit of an update on Andre Stoltz. Some may have heard that he he suffered a heart attack while playing um pro am up in Brisbane last week um he actually played five holes after the i guess the episode so it didn't i guess knock him to the ground as such but obviously he was feeling some discomfort and played five extra holes and then went off to hospital and um there was an update on his facebook page on the day or so ago and he didn't need bypass surgery or things like that it was no, no serious heart surgery required but they're still doing some testing and Trying to get to the bottom of why exactly he uh, he suffered the, yeah the heart attack that he did. Um, try and make sure that it doesn't happen again. Might have to get off the bungers for a bit, but he uh, he'll um, probably won't be seen on the go. He's been winning everything on the on the Spams Legends Tour so far this year. He's only turned fifty last year, I believe, from memory. So uh, and he was due to go to the Champions Tour. I actually, found out today he was. He was going to the Champions Tour to try and qualify for some events over there, but um, got denied the travel insurance um, in these times we're in. So, oh, right. which is probably a good thing in the end because if he'd suffered this episode over there, it could have been very costly for him, if not even more serious. So, uh, yeah, good luck in a you know American hospital with no insurance. Yeah, yeah, with a heart attack. So, mm. yeah, so maybe that was a a good thing that he didn't get to go this time, but hopefully he gets. Better soon, and he's back out there playing, playing some good golf again, and then he can uh, yeah, reset his sights on a on a crack at the US. Yeah, well, I think we're done and dusted, Tony. Thanks very much again for joining me on the on the podcast, and thanks again to all of our listeners for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe through the usual channels, and we'll be back to do it all again this time next week on Inside the Ropes.